you know, for Matt, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's being being a commissioner of an online league or being a a record keeper. It, it's quite the thankless job. So I appreciate all, all the work you guys do. Oh, well, we appreciate that, too. I know you've done online leagues before, so you've seen some of the ways things work. I like to think that the uh, BBA is a little more on the in-control side than most, but, you know, we're all just a bunch of guys living regular lives, too, so it's not like everything can go perfect all the time. Matt is a master. It's unbelievable. Um Matt is Matt is amazing when you really get right down to it because yeah he's like everyone else there's times where he needs to step back and things get a little slow but I mean he's been doing this for years and years and years and it's just such a major part of who he is and he's just fantastic at it so um, never waste an opportunity to say thank you to Matt absolutely we're we're lucky Welcome to the GM's Corner, a Brewster baseball podcast where we put general managers on the hot seat and try to steal all of their very best secrets, which of course I will then keep all to myself so that I can win better. My name is Ron Collins. I am the general manager of the Yellow Springs Nine. Today I am just totally over the moon to have Joe Lederer, the GM of the Mighty Boise Spuds with me here in the BBN studios. Uh, thanks for taking your time here this afternoon, Joe. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. As anyone who has actually paid attention on the forum knows, we've done this one other time before, and I actually managed to capture 13 seconds of semi-audio. Uh, hopefully I will exceed my expectations here and we'll get rolling. I, I will kick off with the same questions that I asked the very first time that we were together and because nobody else heard the answers and they're important for us. Um, you live in Long Beach. You've, you said you've lived there for your whole life. Is Talk to me about your, your time there and your family and just how you think about it. Yeah, uh, born and raised in, in Long Beach. Um, probably spent uh, a good uh, probably... 75% of my time in Long Beach. Uh, it's all been Southern California. Uh, school in Santa Barbara. Lived in San Diego uh, for work for several years. But uh, it all brought me back uh, to Long Beach. Um, my parents uh, are both born and born and bred in Long Beach as well. And uh, the whole family. I have a ton of uh, uncles, aunts, cousins um, that live in Long Beach or, or the, the communities close to it. So uh, there's, uh, there's a big group of us down here. There you go. It's kind of the literary central. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I've got a uh, brother in Long Beach that I try to get out to every year. So if we have to get an opportunity, I'll give you a yell and maybe we can have lunch or something together. That'd be fun. Absolutely. Social media manager. Um, that's part of your application. Um, how did you come about becoming a social media manager and what does that mean to you? What do you actually do? Well, my entire career has, for the most part, been in the golf industry. In addition to being huge baseball fans, the letterers are uh, are big golfers. Um, most of us recreationally. I did have a cousin who played uh, professionally uh, on the uh, on the Web dot com tour, but uh, I took to to golf at a at an early age after um, stopping playing baseball in in Pony League. Played golf in in high school. And, um, you know, I've worked in the industry, um, started out as a general manager uh, of a golf course in Long Beach, uh, became a director of operations of a golf course in San Diego. Um, I've also done sales for golf equipment. And uh, as of uh, most recently, um, I'm the social media manager 
for a men's lifestyle apparel brand uh, based in Huntington Beach, California. Uh, and that brand has its roots in, in golf. So uh, through connections, um, I, I landed the job with, uh, with that brand. And um, my day-to-day is uh, I oversee all the social media platforms uh, for the brand, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, and then I'm also uh, the copywriter for the company. Anything that's written, um, it's coming from me, uh, press releases, product descriptions, uh, anything you would read in an email on the catalog. Um, my background is in, in English, so I love writing. I would never have guessed that. That's <laughs> so, <laughs> why I came to the, uh, to the Brewster. So um, yeah, it's, it, it's great. I'm not uh, the biggest fan of, of social media itself. It, it's, uh, it has its ups and downs, but I love the, I love the job and uh, the ability to uh, to be creative. You know, if you look at the advantages of social media and not the darker <laughs> the darker side of the social part of social media. Exactly. Um, you know, I mean, uh, the things that can be accomplished today between people is just incredible when you come right down to it. I mean, at the end of the day, the Brewster is a big social media place. Yeah, absolutely. Right, when you when you think about it. So anyway, enough of that. Let's talk about the Boise Spuds. What were your thoughts when you first got contacted? Uh, I assume Matt was the one to probably reach out and ask you if you would take over the Boise Spuds. What were your thoughts? Uh, he was, uh, and I was uh, I was thrilled. I, I joined the Brewster uh, knowing uh, about the uh, Umiba and uh, how it was kind of uh, training grounds for, for new GMs. And Totally anticipated spending uh, a season or two uh, at at least uh, until there was an opening. I knew there was going to be expansion on the horizon, so I knew there was a good possibility uh, within a, a couple seasons I'd be able to get my crack. Uh, but uh, within about two weeks of real lifetime, the the opening became uh, available for Boise. Matt reached out and asked, and um, I was thrilled. I would have taken any uh, any club that was uh, offered to me. The fact that it's a uh, it's one of the recent expansion teams, uh, had a lot of appeal. The fact that it hasn't done well uh, in its infancy also appealed to me. I, I love uh, problem solving and, and reclamation projects when it comes to uh, uh, OTP. So it was really the, the perfect fit, and uh, I didn't hesitate. I, I jumped at it. So explain to me uh, how you felt like the first hour as you're looking through your team. What kinds of things were you looking for? I know you're a, a pretty experienced out-of-the-park person. So I'm interested in hearing you talk a little bit about uh, how you examined your team and analyzed it and, and began to actually develop whatever the Joe Letterer scheme is going to be. Yeah, so you know, any general manager is going to have their nuances and their plans of how to operate a team and, and what kind of players they look for and uh, just different styles. And uh, for the most part, you know, whatever team you take over, whether it's an online league or it's the uh, one player uh, version, you know, you're going to inherit a team or take over a team or start brand new. And you're going to want to shape that team to work with um, your tendencies. So uh, I like pitching and defense. I like, um, you know, I had kind of a sabermetric background and trying to find uh, market inefficiencies and, and all that jazz. So that was the first thing I was looking for, just to see if that was an opportunity. Um, being a not so great club, uh, there were a lot of holes, and so the fun thing was the challenge of how am I going to make make these things work? And you know, I saw some some opportunities to 
you know, have a, a rebuild of some sort or, or, you know, kind of start new with a younger club. Uh, but then there's always, you know, you open the, the team and, and you see Dennis French is always a, a nice addition to have on any club, no matter uh, whether you're a seasoned veteran or, or a young guy starting well, let out. Let me give you a special inner insider clue. Dennis French is probably not going to be very good. So I would be willing to give you, you know, a, a couple of guys for him just as a welcoming gift. Yeah, you know, you're probably the, the sixth uh, GM in the in the league to, uh, <laughs> to reach out and warn me that French is probably not going to be uh, worth my time and if they would uh, uh, take him off my hands. Well, you know, we're a welcoming group like that. <laughs> yes. So. You sit down, you kind of look through your team, you're looking for pitching and defense. You're right at the beginning, essentially, of an offseason, right? I mean, you had a couple of different cycles on free agency. We actually talked on the forum about your big signing of Egbert Boehner. Boehner? How do you pronounce that? Uh, Boehner, uh, I guess. That's Boehner. how I pronounce it. Yeah, that worked. Uh, what were your thoughts when it came to looking at the free agent pool? Obviously, you decided to throw a lot of cash into it. Tell me about what you're thinking there. Um, yeah, one of the things Matt did mention uh, when he said Boise was was going to be made available if I wanted it was that it had the most uh, money to spend. Um, I guess over the first four years, it's been generally uh, at or near the bottom of uh, a player payroll. And so I had a lot to, to work with. Um, didn't necessarily mean I was going to spend it. Um, but looking at the free agent class and seeing the, the holes, uh, on the current roster, I thought there were a couple different players that would, that would make sense. Um, but, um, I wanted to stay flexible, um, as this is a, a, a growing team. I didn't want to throw money around for, for long term, And so I actually stuck to my guns and made some, uh, some initial, uh, offers for, two to four years, um, probably at over, well, definitely at overvalue for the market. But knowing that I had a lot of flexibility and pay room role, I was willing to overpay per year if I could get it to, to on my terms. And uh, it just so happened, everything worked out with Boehner and uh, with Salazar as well, which was a kind of a last minute uh, addition. Yeah, I was actually uh, surprised and, and personally pleased uh, at the Salazar signing just uh First off, I thought it was a well-done contract from an aesthetic standpoint. You know, I'm assuming that in your shoes, you'd like to have got him for a little cheaper than that. But um, obviously, I liked it because it brought me a draft pick for the for the second round next next cycle. So that was happy for me. <laughs> More than happy to help you out there. There you go. When you look at free agency in general, and you talked about having a lot of cash, um, if you've listened to all of our different GMs, corners, and conversations that we've had on podcasts you'll, and read stuff, you'll know that uh, Ted and I and Randy and uh, Brett Schroeder, uh, the Umibas Brett Schroeder, at various different times have spent a lot of time talking about developing contract structures, right? And how much of your budget should you spend when you're coming up the curves and different things like that. Um what kinds of thoughts were going through your heads kind of structurally in that sense from an out-of-the-park team in a salary cap league looking at Boise and where you're at? Where did you did you actually kind of plan a here's where I want my final payroll to be if in an ideal situation or were you just kind of winging it or where were your thoughts on that? 
you know, I guess I was kind of winging it, just knowing that, you know, the offers that I initially made weren't probably going to be the final uh, contract uh, details. So I left myself some some leeway. Um, I think I'm currently at $89 million. Um, I have a budget over the cap, so I do still have some money to work with. I, at the end of the day, uh, if I was able to sign some players, um, that'd be great. And uh, if that was the case, I still wanted to have a little bit of flexibility, whether it was a, a trade midseason. Um, I just I hate to be, you know, backed into a corner when it comes to payroll, especially when it's a, a salary cap league um, and you can be hand strung with with, you know, bad contracts or, or bad uh, you know, financial situations. So I did want to leave myself a little bit of room. And, uh, yeah, uh, like I said before, you know, I, I didn't want to go over a certain amount of years. Um, I have some salary coming off the books, uh, in the next two or three years. Uh, so with those existing players and these new signings, I'll have a lot of money to, to, uh, pay both French and, uh, Tirada who are going to be going through the arbitration, uh, process. And if I want to extend them, you know, throughout those, those years, it's going to be important to have that flexibility. I want to say that Brett was the first person that I heard actually say this, but uh, it, it could have been Ted. It could have been any one of any any others that there, there's almost no such thing as a super bad one year contract. Sure. Right. Uh, in our in a salary cap league in particular, where you've got some weird inefficiencies going on, sometimes it's better to go ahead and spend. Uh, Boise has often had their payroll in the 30 and 40 million range when their budget is 80 or 90 or 100, right? Right. And for me personally, I look at that and I think of it as a as a pretty big inefficiency because really the, the big goal here, I think, is to drive revenue, right? So at least the way I tend to think about things is yeah. I want to I want to create revenue. I almost don't care what I spend and I don't care if really I don't care if I lose money in a single year, but I want to keep my revenue building over time. Um, and so when I look at something like Boise, um, Jeff is a fantastic general manager for lots of lots of ways. But that's the one thing that I would look at what Boise was doing and I'd go, wow, that's like 50 million dollars he's leaving on the table that he could win an extra 10 games with or five games with and and build revenue. But um uh, but his teams have won as he's gone through it, and Boise has has um, come up the curve pretty well. I'm very excited to see where you're where you're going to go with them. I think that's an extremely interesting team to uh, to work with. But yeah, I just absolutely I loved the Beaner the the Boehner signing in the sense that um, one year is definitely in the first year. Twenty seven million is an overpay. Anytime you give anybody twenty seven million, you're not going to get twenty seven million dollars worth of stuff. <laughs> Exactly. But if you've got the money in the in your pile, what else are you going to do with it except admire it, I guess? Yeah, and, and I've, I've seen in OTP, you know, um, I don't know if it's over a one-season stretch, but over the course of three or four seasons, um, if you're consistently well below uh, your owner's budget and perhaps uh, fan interest is waning, um, you know, the, the owner will will at times drop that budget and if I was just sitting with a sack full of money for the next two seasons, uh, the owner could have then said, "Okay, your budget's going to be seventy million, and mm -hmm. I, I would have been, I would have been really screwed trying to, to rebuild this." So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't love throwing around money, but uh, if you have it um, and it doesn't uh, hurt the franchise, why not spend it? <laughs> there you go. Let me go ahead and put you into the traditional lightning round hot seat. 
right? I'm okay. going to put you in the corner. I'm going to shine the really bright lights in your eyes and see if I can dazzle you. I'm sweating already. <laughs> what is your biggest signing of this uh, of this uh, off season? Uh, I I'm going to say it's definitely uh, Boehner. Uh, I had a huge hole in uh, pitching, so to get a guy who you know routinely puts 200 innings and a handful of war uh, is great. Um, I got a big boost of uh, fan interest with his signing as well. So, um, you know, it was the big ticket purchase of the offseason, but it was also uh, the most important and uh, significant uh, term as far as, uh, you know, producing on the field. What's the biggest signing not from Boise? Oh, wow. It's been, you know, this is my first season in OTP, and to see a lot of these, um, you know, there, I don't know if superstar is the right word. There were some really, really talented players, um, maybe not franchise players, but some really, really good, uh, talented hitters and pitchers. And to see them up to this point, which is the middle of spring training, uh, still on the, uh, still, you know, waiting to get signed, I thought, thought was really interesting. As far as uh, most interesting signing, I think um, I can't remember the, the player's name, but a catcher just got picked up. I thought for a really good price. Um, shoot, I wish I knew the name, but uh, it was a guy I was kind of looking at potentially if, if one of these um, moves didn't go through. Uh, I thought it was a, a smart, smart deal. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of looking at the landscape of the, of the league and understanding the tendencies of these different GMs is interesting. Let me ask you one that you've already heard before, but people have got to hear this. Right? Okay. When I looked at your at your application, right, I was looking at cooking and sabermetrics and publishing of novellas and unpublished novellas, and I'm going, yes, 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 but talk to me about horology. How did that come about? What in the world are you talking about? So horology is uh, technically it's the study of time. Um, but I'm not, um, you know, pulling up, uh, doctrines, uh, from the Renaissance period, uh, talking about, you know, the earth moving or anything like that. Really it's, it's, uh, the appreciation of watches and time, time pieces. Um, I love the, I love watches. They're, um, they're works of art. I feel you can wear, um, there's cool little intricacies and mechanisms with them. Um, I'm not a, a big budget guy, but I do have a, a small collection of uh, over 10 uh, vintage Seiko watches uh, from the 70s, um, which are all different in their own way. Um, so it's kind of a, a nerdy thing, but uh, I love I love uh, I love watches. Outstanding. <laughs> I had to ask that. And, and since I lost the entire conversation, I had to ask it again. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Four-man rotation, five-man rotation. What kind of guy are you? Uh, you left off six-man rotation. Six-man rotation. Go for it. Um, you know, again, you know, pitching is not a strength. Uh, we did improve with, with Boehner. Um, but um, I may work with something out of the box, uh, be it a four-man rotation um, with a, uh, with a pitch count. So the guys can make their next, uh, 
uh, start with being too fatigued um, and going with a deep bullpen or, you know, going with a six man rotation and trying to let these guys go as deep as possible and, and see if I can kind of pick up some wins that way. Um, you know, studying the, the forum, you know, I came across the, the cyclone method. Uh, that I believe Alan uh, has has named, um, and I think that's going to be something I, I'm going to be looking to uh, emulate this upcoming season with with the talent that I have. I'm guessing that we're going to actually launch it for this year using the openers. Matt hasn't actually announced or decided fully yet, but we've talked about it a little bit. I'm certain we will use it sometime soon. So I'm looking forward to seeing how guys like Alan and the more creative folks end up using the opener uh, feature inside OTP and how it actually works. I actually admit I have not tested it, so I don't know what it, there's going to be lots of things to, uh, to mess with this, this year with version 20 coming out and lots of tweaks and, and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. I I think when that becomes available, um, that's going to be something that uh, I'm going to look at for sure. I think a lot of the the GMs in the league will, will do the same. Um, the thing I don't envy uh, for, for you and the governing board is um, figuring out when a uh, opener or follower hits free agency, what uh, what their uh, classification is for compensation. I don't think Major League Baseball has really figured that out yet. So it'll be interesting to see what we do from a financial uh, standpoint. Well, I think Major League Baseball is going to be changing it so for the next few years anyway before it's all said and done. So I think uh, Out of the Park has lots of... Uh, um, oh, geez, what, what was the latest thing that I saw? Uh, there was a conversation on uh, the out of the park boards about uh, the Rays looking at splitting their home city, right? Half of their year in Montreal, half of their year in Tampa, and that's being discussed. So out of the park is going to have to think, think about what it means to have a, potentially a team in two cities. I can't think of a, a worse idea for that. <laughs> it seems like an odd thing, but they're not drawn in Tampa, so you what can you say best thing and worst thing about the uh or i shouldn't say worst thing best thing and most confusing thing about the brewster baseball association so far you're a brand new uh still still count as a brand new person uh so while the idea is still fresh in your head talk to me about the best thing and the most confusing thing that you've run into I mean, the best thing is the the draw that brought me to the Brewster is um, being creative on the forums, creating all the articles, uh, the team previews, uh, being able to kind of create this fictional world and having, you know, 30 other or I should say, you know, there's 38 of us with the Amoeba, having everyone really bought in on that. Um, you know, it, it's so entertaining and fun to to log into the forum uh, see that there's all these new articles and going through them all and reading them. And, and everyone is, is a different writer and has their own different style. It, it, it's great. And, uh, you know, God forbid Boise is, is horrible, but I, I could win uh, 65 games a year and I'd still have a blast uh, being able to, to read all these articles and then write them as well. Um, yeah, the most confusing thing is, uh, you know, the online leagues that I've done, I really just focused on the talent aspect, the 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 you know the players and and acquisitions and setting lineups. Uh, the financial uh, aspect of Brewster is going to be a, a little bit of a learning curve. Whether it's um, how cash flow works with stadium maintenance um, and and those kind of things, those are kind of all new to me. Um, you know, typically. 
Uh, I let my assistant GM set my uh, scouting budgets and my ticket prices. But I know there are dozens of articles talking about, you know, what's the right, you know, uh, level of, you know, when is the ticket price too low or too high? So these are things that I'm going to have to really consider to um, take advantage of um, because it seems like these are factors that do make a, a difference uh, in some way. Yeah, no, that's a good answer. And, and quite honestly, the financial structure of the league is, if you ever think that you actually understand exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it, then you're probably giving yourself too much credit. <laughs> For sure. Um, so anyway, I've, I've uh, heard call OOTP. It's uh, not just a baseball simulation, but it's a, a financial simulation. Yeah, that's kind of one of my catchphrases, and that can actually, I can't remember whether I came up with it or whether it came out of an old league that I was in with Stephen Shaw, uh, the the old Fobble back in the probably two thousand and three range. Um, we used to talk about. We used to call uh, instead of calling it out of the park. We used to call it the FAC. The uh, fancy ass calculator. Oh, I love that! <laughs> and uh, we actually did all of our finances outside the game, and it was a finan- It was definitely a big financial sim. So, um, I think you need to understand how the finances work in order to really have a look a good long running uh, operation. You can you can screw your finances up for a year or two and still win, but if you've got screwed up finances, it's not going to last real long. So. Right. Alrighty, last question of the hot seat. Let me adjust the uh, bright light here. Oh boy! When Boise wins the Landis, <laughs> what are you going to celebrate with? Oh my goodness! You know, I could go the traditional route of uh, of champagne or you know ice cold uh, beer. You know, something not too classy. You know, a, a Schlitz. Uh, <laughs> you know, something like that. Um, you know, being a, my heart, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, being a fantasy baseball, uh, player, um, I know the tradition of, uh, of you back in the, in the rotisserie days. Yes, indeed. Does have its appeal. And then, you know, being Boise in the home of the potatoes, uh, you know, maybe we'll, uh, order a case or two of some Vodak and, and and drink that. (laughs) All righty. Well, you have survived the lightning round. So congratulations. I'm going to, I'm, uh, I'm wiping my brow right now. <laughs> it is traditional that if you have anything you would like to ask me, I know we talked about some things before, but if you have anything else you'd like to chat about uh, or bring up, uh, I'll be happy to pontificate uh, and pretend like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll, I'll take you up on that. Um, it, it's a repeat question, but I think it, uh, it, it should be asked again because we do have uh, even more new GMs since we, we last spoke. But uh, if there's a, a storyline, um, whether it's in the game or outside of the game, uh, that runs through the Brewster that every new GM should explore and find out about, um, and Al Hoop doesn't count as, a, as an answer, uh, what, what would it be? Well, my answer to you last time, and it still still counts. I, I saw you went and uh, and uh, and did it, so I'll mention it again. Is go search Dan Fiscus the whole uh, the whole storyline of Chris Wilson turning his turning the uh, operation of his team over to his assistant general manager for a year was was just absolutely brilliant, uh, brilliant writing, great storytelling around it, um, and it still has reverberations today. I will add more and say. Um, in my mind, uh, when I was first coming in, 
I created a bit of a uh, of a rivalry with Louisville and uh, and Stu the genius. Um, if you can go and and do some searching on what the kinds of things he was writing in the twenty twenty four through twenty twenty eight uh, twenty thirty period, um, I mean he's got his whole family of. I mean the. <laughs> The Wichita, the Louisville slash Wichita general management function is a banana republic mafia, <laughs> right? Before it's all said and done, and nobody writes that any better than Stu. Uh, so I'm I'm uh, I'm waiting with bated breath for him to recatch his, uh, uh, you know, get get his breath back and get his life together. Uh, I shouldn't say life together. I don't know if he's having any issues. <laughs> Uh, but I'm I'm waiting for him to get on another creative spree like that because some of those conversations about his trips to South America to find international free agents and so forth just uh, I absolutely adored those so um, so that's what I would say Dan Fiscus and go search for some of what Stu was doing in those time periods go look at the Louisville uh, uh, team news threads in that kind of time period and you'll just see all sorts of fun stuff oh I can't wait that that is great. Um... You know, you've been involved as a beta tester for OTP for for quite a while. Um, you know, is there a change or an improvement that you'd like to see in OTP in future versions? Um, yeah, I think that Ted and I have talked several times. <clears throat> I can't remember. I, I think you asked this question before, and I can't remember yeah. how I answered it. <laughs> uh, but uh, Ted, Ted and I have talked several times about the idea of. Um, of individual pitches. Um, you know, right now we have individual pitches and they're each given a single rating and they all kind of mush together into some other things. Uh, I just think that it needs to be way better than that. Uh, I think that uh, each pitch needs to be, needs to be rated for its own velocity and its own movement. And there needs to be a command function in here somehow. And I think command actually touches on all the pitches and, Maybe uh, there's uh, at one point I actually wrote up a series of design documents for Marcus on how this would work <laughs> and wow. I sent it to him. Um, and uh, I just think that it kind of overwhelmed him at, at the time where it's, that's my take on it. it. He didn't want to do that kind of um, surgery into his system, right? Cause those are some pretty big changes and, but those are the kinds of changes that need to happen for the game to move out of the um, by plate appearance kind of resolution into using some of the more modern day analytics, right? I mean, we don't talk about pitchers' movement. We talk about their spin rate, <laughs> right? We, we talk about location and spin rate and, and uh, velocity as far as that goes. And so those are the kinds of things that I think need to happen there. I also think an even bigger piece uh, that gets into ratings, and um, and I know Ted pulls his hair out on this uh, quite a bit on the big picture uh, rating schemes and trying to figure out relative ratings and whatnot. Things are going to really be kind of hamstrung until um, Marcus and crew go the next step. And in my opinion, separate out the whole scouting algorithm from the uh, rating and development algorithm. We need to go deeper into things like power is not power, right? Power is bat speed and launch angle and strength and whatever. And 
the, but the problem with that is, and I think we had a conversation on the forum about it, is that as soon as you do that as out of the park, then all these historical simmers who love having Mickey Mantle face Cy Young are going to be in trouble because nobody knows what spin rate Cy Young threw his slurve at, right? Right. I mean, so in order to get that right, you'd have to backward engineer all sorts of stuff. So it's a what I'm asking for and the things that, in my opinion, need to happen are, are, uh, are not simple changes that can be done in a month's worth of time, right? That it needs a kind of a redesign, uh, a redesign thing. But those are things that I think are the, are the most impactful things and they reverberate through everything that is out of the park before it's all said and done. Yeah. Those, those would be great. That'd be uh, exciting if they get to that point. Well, the important thing about it and why I do a lot of the stuff that I do is I want to try to figure out what parts of the game I can use baseball logic and be right Mm -hmm. in places of the game where baseball logic doesn't actually work, or at least it doesn't work in the way that you think it ought to work. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Um, And, you know, uh, Ted and I have lots of these conversations and I I feel quite uh, a simpatico aspect with Ted because in that time period when I was doing, for example, the individual pitches, I actually stepped away from out of the park for a year or two after that because it pissed me off so much that they wouldn't do it. Right. (laughs) Because this is the way the game needs to be. Right. Right. That was kind of my mindset. So. I actually left the Fobble at that time and kind of took about a year and a half uh, away and cleared myself. And that's when I ended up going to the Piba uh, back um, and writing the, the couple of different Piba books that I wrote, right? Because um, at that stage, I was ready to play the game again and not get so tied up into the fact that Marcus was not listening to my pet way of doing things. Right. <laughs> I, I wanted Marcus to bet his company on my opinion, and that was probably not uh, not healthy for me or Marcus at that time. Uh, last question for you. Uh, you you brought up uh, the Piba um, League, um, the Piba Diaries. Are we going to see more more Casey Neal, and could he make a, could he have a a role to play in the Brewster? <laughs> Yeah, you've got, like I said last time, you've got me thinking about that. Um, I really hadn't thought, I've been trying to think about how to write a book around the BBA for quite a while, and uh, I really hadn't come up with something that worked, because I didn't want to do the same thing that I did with the first PIBA book, right? Because what I I wrote, uh, I think when we talked before, I wrote the first PIBA book in between their sims. I wasn't part of their league yet, and I wanted them to accept me in the league. And so uh, the idea there was, the the conceit there was, is that uh, Casey and his friend Donna were going on the road trip, and every time they would have a sim, I would go to two different, I would determine based on the schedule, you know, where Casey and Donna had to go in order to get to their next games. And so I would pick the the locations of each chapter based on a stadium and a city that was in the PIBA. Um, and I couldn't come up with a, uh, a, a conceit to make that happen. But then when we were talking before, you actually asked about it, and uh, it, I've latched onto the idea that the second book actually has uh, essentially this big quantum thing going on where technically I could make 
Casey and or Dono. Uh, who knows who Dono really is, what Dono really is, but uh, I could see Casey Neal showing up in the BBA, so I'm thinking about how that would work. Um, for those who have not read the books, Casey Neal ends up being kind of a sports journalist, more of a you know telling life stories kind of journalist in that sense, I think, than a following the games individually. Uh, so certainly there's something there that could happen. And if I look at the timing, the years that he was writing in the PIBA, he could be doing a Hunter S. Thompson thing out there for 15 years and show up in the BPA. I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to, to see. I'm, I'm thinking about it quite a bit. I loved writing those books because... I could just sit down and crank them out, you know, and I could just let the world flow in my head. And and uh, if you've read those books, you know that they can be, for me, deliciously meandering. I don't know whether people who read them find them to be deliciously meandering or not, but I loved I loved doing them. Fear and loathing in Yellow Springs that that could be that could be what's <laughs> there. You go. That's well, called that's called the Louisville's nightmare. Yeah, there you go. Well, that's all, that's all I have for you today, uh, Ron. All right. Well, I certainly appreciate your time, and um, and uh, we'll look forward to having you sit down again and do another GM's Corner or have a conversation about some other stuff. That would be fun. Absolutely, and uh, I'll see you in the frick. The Brewster Baseball Association is an out-of-the-park baseball league commissioned by Mr. America himself, Matt Rechtenwald, and competed in by an amazing group of outstanding general managers. Check us out at MontyBrewster.net. You have been listening to The GM's Corner, a podcast where we put BBA GMs on the hot seat. Music is Cool Piano by Tigerius and is used under Creative Commons Attribution License. See you next time. Until then, have fun, be safe, and always remember that even a boring team news is worth two points.